Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. All right. Welcome into Mailbox Money. My name is Ryan Kruger, and I'm here with my partner and my pal, Jackson Wood. And we had a little more fun than usual, and every episode is fun to chop up. I just use, once again, a real-life example of something I did, this time as a dad, and how it accidentally but profoundly translates into the portfolios that we're managing as an eye-opener that I wanted to share. Um, I, I think there will be a couple of shocking facts on display of upside surprises with some remarkably undervalued tickets. And as a dad of nine here between the two of us combined, I will share one piece of advice from, as Jackson likes to say, the daddest man on the planet. That's him. (laughs) Of all the tickets I've ever bought, all of our kids, last week, I was lucky enough to secure what I believe in the free advice here is the best bang for your buck ticket as a dad. And it's not even close. We'll share that. (laughs) But as always, I like along the way, as we're having fun, as we're colliding with all these grins and smiles with my kids, I like to read the history before we go somewhere, just in case there's something that might stick behind that grin in the back of their mind that might turn the wheels of something bigger going on here. So I read about the history of this particular sporting event, and it started with a guy who at all of five feet, three inches tall in a three-piece suit with a basketball jersey on underneath in case one of the five big guys that he had to shove in his car to go to get a game, and they tried to get any game they could that was not afraid of playing the Savoy Five, as they called them back then. He had to have an extra jersey just in case one of them fouled out or got hurt. (laughs) And they went around taking on all comers. And an all-black team had a hard time finding some games. His idea was that a faster-paced, different brand of basketball at the exact time when the professional leagues in the United States were losing attendance because they were too slow might be an undervalued proposition and a different way of playing the same game. And are we talking about basketball or stocks? Yes. But before I pass the ball to you, Wood, I know you're excited to grab it. The end of that story before we get into stocks is old Abe convinced the mighty world champion Lakers led by George Mikan to play them. And they were given absolutely no chance, just as the investments we're about to talk about today are given no chance right now. And it is completely agreed upon by the crowd. And we'll share the data to prove it. They were given no chance against the Lakers. And old Abe's team somehow miraculously snuck out a 61 to 59 victory. Seizing on a even bigger opportunity, his group, and he changed the name. He thought it would offer more appeal to what you now know as the Harlem Globetrotters. 
before the, the history of it's fascinating. They played in all fully competitive games. I'm going to quote the record here to make sure I get it right. In straight up competitive games, they were 397 and 32. Whooping everybody that would take them before embracing an even bigger idea in the world of capitalism that they could get paid year round and put on a different kind of show that I was lucky enough to go and take my kids. I take one every year. Occasionally they get lucky and we'll double up like last time. And for the same price as upper bowl in an NBA game, when you're absolutely not sure who's going to show up and oftentimes a not very exciting game for the same price, go sit courtside for a Globetrotter game. And if you really believe in the power of Grindex and you have a couple of sweet, cute grins on your face with no extra cost, no VIP line, just a regular old ticket holder, a couple of mine have gotten in the games. And I'll tell you, that was a bigger bang for the buck than any NBA game. That's coming from a hardcore NBA fan. Is there an undervalued ticket like that in the world, if you're willing to open the lens even wider, of stocks? I do not think that's a stretched analogy, but I will be grinning all along the way making it to what we see today. So two things came to mind as soon as I saw your pictures from you guys at the game. The first one was that picture you sent me is going on a Grindex wall of fame. That was awesome. The second one is I immediately looked up the Globetrotters schedule to see when they're making their way to Utah so that I could, you know, sitting courtside for the price of the nosebleed seats sounds like a good value to me. Um, and then you said, are we talking basketball or are we talking stocks? And the answer is yes. So in, in today's episode, I think for the first time, we've had 56 episodes. Uh, for the first time, we're going to talk exclusively about international stocks. And when I was sitting on the desk at the biggest retirement firm in the world, I would see all these portfolios come across my screen. And they were very confusing. When you looked at the U.S. asset allocation, that they were confusing. When you looked at the international uh, allocation, it got even more confusing and breaking these down, looking at regions and, and currency exchange. Instead of making it confusing, and in the spirit of our show that we've had this entire time we've been podcasting, we're going to boil this down to two very simple, repeatable processes that we use in our own portfolios and for our partners, those that we're fortunate enough to work for, and show you the math behind some of these very attractive international opportunities and why we would even look there to begin with. So the simplest starting point, and Jackson will share these charts that are eye-opening on our YouTube channel for Mailbox Money, is the amount of money if you divide the entire world by stock market capitalization, where everybody is voting with their dollars, where the crowds of capital are. And let's face it, the United States is dominant for a lot of reasons. Capital will, will flow to where it is treated best. And there is no part of this show that is underestimating the unrivaled opportunities that are available in the United States. That part's clear. But when an entire crowd only sees those opportunities, they can unlock some mispriced, undervalued tickets elsewhere. So the entire world, I added together every single stock market around the world. Close to half of all dollars are in the United States stock market alone. There are not close to half the world's people or businesses or upside in the United States. 
So there is, in my opinion, despite the fact that I have an overwhelming majority of our capital in the United States, there is a greater upside and a supreme discount to being willing to look overseas with some, even a tiny portion of your savings. So to put that in perspective, compared to the stock markets voting with dollars, and we line up China as the second biggest stock market, then there's Japan, there's Hong Kong, and there's India, but those are single digit percentages. One tiny slice is all the other category, all these tiny, teeny countries that together combined for 7% of the world's stock market capitalization. And that teeny tiny other category, and we'll have these pie charts to show them, happens to be where over half of the entire world lives. That is staggering. And there are all sorts of things that will go wrong in these third world countries and developing countries that are developing for the rest of our lifetimes because they can't get out of their own ways. And they have all sorts of problems that we take for granted. We think we have po political problems. Those are wonderful problems compared to what we see around the world. Things that we take for granted like property rights. Also, but if you agree with one premise and one premise only, that the standards of living have more room to improve, I want a couple of dollars invested in those tickets. And I'll give you a couple of simple examples. Only recently, and the chart will show in the last few years, did the number of people living in cities in China exceed those living in the country. You know what happened when that occurred in the United States? We lived through the unbelievable upside and explosion in standards of living improving and all of the businesses needed to support that. And when and if capitalism is allowed to operate in some of these countries, which is a big question and a big risk, the upside will be substantially more than when those standards of living and what we argue about in the United States are pretty good problems to have by comparison. Another specific example in India, there's been an explosion in digital population coming online. And we show a chart of that it is all the way up to less than half of that country is online. The ability and what will be unleashed when people are connected to be able to hear and follow news, events, maybe even mailbox money. One of my friends in Bangladesh who may be listening, and what is Bangladesh? Some people might ask. I had to ask myself 10 or so years ago. I wasn't quite sure, and I'm always humble enough to ask. And the moral of this whole story is let's remain more curious than convinced. That investment track record has unquestioned upside. So I this is India's neighbor to give you a perspective of how much else is going on out there that we have to be at least curious about, if not exposed and invested in a couple of dollars of a nest egg. So imagine if more than half of the entire United States was squeezed into an area smaller than the state of Iowa. That is the population and the size of Bangladesh. When I read that, I uh, it made me rethink how I'm 
envisioning our little corner of Idaho getting too popular when you, when you told me that stat and it's just mind blowing to me what's happening outside of the U S especially with they're coming online for the first time ever where it's happened here 30 years ago. And this is just exciting, interesting points, I think, and, and worth looking at as a, as an investor. And to give you a specific example of how early and hard and risk there is in those developing nations to even capture any of that upside that we now take for granted. But it is that giant leap in standards of living that offer the biggest investment opportunities throughout history. And the United States is the best proof of that. To give you an example, and, and this is a Texan, by the way, who moved, he wanted his boots on the ground in Bangladesh to take advantage of the opportunities that he thought were substantially more than the United States. So one of the early stage CEOs that he backed, and I'm gonna run a quote here, um, he, he, he runs an online education platform. Opportunities are enormous when half of the country is not even online yet. And I quote, I am dealing with 90 million people who have zero access to education, and I've only raised five and a half million dollars busting a gut for the last three years. While a dog walking application in Silicon Valley has raised $200 million easily. The crowds throwing money at any idea in the United States with questionable standards of living improvement <laughs> versus proof on the ground of how unwilling people are to invest in enormous with all sorts of risk upside that put a point specifically on it for this next chart that we'll share where it just proved that sentiment could not be any worse for these gigantic opportunities outside the u.s borders and what do i mean by that sentiment for the last 15 years we show a chart of the s p 500 the u.s blue blue chip stocks against all the rest of the world and it has underperformed consistently for 15 straight years. So even believers in emerging markets and investing overseas have stopped believing, stopped voting, stopped investing. If you recommended that in the past, you were fired. So those pools of capital dwindle up and you have fewer people bidding on those courtside seats in case something unusual happens. And that chart shows only in the last year has that downtrend if you believe in technical analysis and momentum which is part of our process watching the crowds after you do the fundamental research watching the crowds and that sea of capital moving from one shore to the other that downtrend may have been broken for the first time in 15 years which raises another eyebrow yeah i think that that momentum and those trends are powerful i saw on twitter I think two weeks ago, a whole bunch of advisors going back and forth about international exposure and if it's even worth it to have it in a portfolio. And I wanted to chime in, but I, I didn't really feel like getting in a debate on Twitter that day. I was busy working for our partners. Um, I, I wanted to post these kind of stats. And just because something has underperformed for X number of years compared to the U.S., 
that doesn't mean that it can't change in the future. And we very well might not see it outperform and it may go back to the same 15 year trend that it's been in, but it's always worth as a portfolio manager looking at these opportunities. And I've I've loved what you've said a couple of times where allocating just a tiny fraction to these opportunities can make a big difference in a portfolio. We're not saying obviously go all in and international. Um, And I think in the next section of the podcast, we're gonna explain the two ways that we do this in our own portfolios and for those that we work for. Um, And one of these is, is I think pretty, pretty under, like a a lot of people are going to understand one of these ways, but the second way, a lot of people, I can promise you haven't thought about the way that the math works out of how to get international exposure. And I think it's going to, it's going to turn on a few light bulbs for people listening. And I'm excited. I love these stats. If you can't tell, maybe I'm a little biased, but. Well, we remain curious and we will always remain humble. The two most important investment disciplines that I would share. So even as active managers, we've based an entire career on selection process. And we've talked a lot about the tournament of stocks we have in the United States, develop liquid names with proven repeatable track records where we can let that league compete against each other and very clearly show differences between those teams when another team that's not even allowed in the league is knocking and the entire team is shoved in one car um, those opportunities set are different so how would we consider even a couple of percent of a nest egg invested overseas there's a couple of ways one i think as an active manager i think this is one of the best use cases of believing in indexes. So people that have this debate that their heels are dug in, is it passive or active? Indexing or individually managed portfolios, it doesn't have to be either or. There is a lot of reasons to believe and we'll share a particularly useful, and you know I have to go next order here, second level thinking. I wanna be actively passive here in a second and I'll share with you my favorite example. But if all you do is own some overseas extremely efficient, cheap ways of owning baskets of these international stocks. I'm a believer. I'm an owner myself. Those indexes, and I would go, I would not get cute. I would not try to pick one that you've read about most recently that you like, that you believe in, that you don't believe in, that you believe in their politics, that you don't. Things change. Things change. And standards of living will improve. And some of the worst places in the world will become a little less worse on their way, maybe one day to becoming pretty good. Um, that human progress is pretty clear. And there will be problems as a result. I like the use of international indexes. We'll talk about who licenses those indexes here in a second. Or, and this is where we roll up our sleeves, even on our U.S. selection process that surprises some folks, and it might start getting those wheels turning about, wow, there's an even easier way right here that I do believe in, and I don't have to agree with them, and I don't have to put my money overseas. I don't have to run those risks of politics and currencies. I can believe right here in the state of Texas with a company like Texas Instruments, would you believe that 90% of their revenues come from overseas sources? So one thing Jackson and I do for every U.S. company is we measure the source of revenues as one simple way of diversifying internationally. So every dollar that's reported when you hear an earnings release, I like to look at the top line, the revenues, the operating revenues, 
And is that domestic? Or does it come from other countries around the world that are seizing on these opportunities to improve standards of living, but that already have a proven track record and a really hospitable place to run their business as they sell into these countries, diversifying their own risk? And sometimes some of these breakdowns, and you start to see why stocks, even in the same sector, start to move very differently. A lot of that has to do with currency fluctuations of the dollar and overseas healthy economies. So I'm going to give you a couple of fun examples that might get the wheels turning and talk at your own supper table and do your own research. Or you can certainly ask us for a little help and we'll provide a little guidance. But if Texas Instruments has 90% overseas, what else might I be missing? Um, my other favorite example is Las Vegas Sands. Are you relying on the Strip in downtown Nevada as people worry about sports books around the country taking away from Las Vegas and is there too much risk that, well, not only didn't that happen, but would you believe that 80% of Las Vegas Sands revenues comes from outside the United States to begin with? One of my favorite examples of the opportunities and the standards of living when my friend was talking about the CEO scratching his head of how a dog walking app, which is pretty clear evidence that we've had the biggest areas of improvement standard of living for humans in this country when we're more worried about that <laughs> and the incremental benefit that might do. And dare I say, poses even a greater risk of distraction and showing where we could light money on fire in this country, maybe never to see it again. In his country, more than half of the people have never even brushed their teeth yet. Think about that standard of living. And what we now know is that one of the most underrated secrets of success health-wise is the teeth. Well, Colgate, I just happened to look up, has 80% of their revenues come from other countries. There are too many buildings in the U.S., arguably. Real estate problems, people working at home. Again, some rich man problems to have in overly developed nations. The hist One of my favorite history lessons is the Otis Elevator, which was invented in 1854, is now a publicly traded company who's generating three out of every $4 from overseas customers. And I know your favorite, also close to three out of $4 from Oreos cookies, been around since 1912. Not a lot of political risk, not a lot of overseas currency risk, but the parent company of Oreos, 71% of the revenues come from overseas. So we measure every one of these because we want to balance our own U.S. portfolio, not only by sector and size and style, but by source of revenues. I don't think that's talked about enough. So we wanted to share that as well. I absolutely love that. And I think my kids would make up for that 29% uh, or make up that other 29% for the Oreos if, if we let them, but they do brush their teeth. So maybe it balances out. <laughs> We're hoping that those two companies with their uh, U.S. revenue. No, I think that this is is really important. And I, honestly, I've listened to hundreds and hundreds of financial podcasts, and I read finance stuff all the time, and nobody talks about this. So if you think about this from a portfolio construction standpoint, um, if you're looking at your sacred money, you have these these stocks that have gone through this tournament that we know are healthy, that we know are improving quarter over quarter, year over year. And if you look at their revenue, it's not all tied to 
the success in the US. And so that creates a little bit of comfort for me as a shareholder, understanding that I don't have all of my eggs in one basket. When I look at my US-based stocks and their revenue sources from overseas, that's a comforting feeling. And when you throw on top of that, the active management, knowing that if anything does change, we can cut them out of the portfolio or add to them if they're you know, if they're improving faster than we thought, that that means a lot. And then knowing that we have this very cheap, very diversified um, index strategy sitting alongside with, it, it could very well be a very small percentage of the portfolio, just to know that we have all the bases covered here and we're taking advantage of opportunities. As these countries develop, pretty soon there may be companies that make these, you know, dividend growth categories that are overseas that have been there for 10, 15, 20 years. And there very well might be that uh, kind of maturity in the overseas market. And, and to me, that that presents an opportunity. And I like this kind of narrowing down this next section. I'm going to post the graph and I won't spoil it, but this next one might just be the best, the best point of the entire podcast. Well, you, you know, I like to get greedy with my grins and multiplying them and others. And, you know, if there's a way to look at something differently that the crowd isn't even noticing, hiding in plain sight, that everybody is debating and a beneficiary of all of them, then we're going to find it. And so the globe, the, the globetrotter comparison, I guess, would be so and, and all the other. And look, there's risk in overseas investing. We talked about that. I want to be very transparent. There's risk when you buy tickets to globetrotters that one of your kids is going to be pissed off. If another kid gets a little more action when they went one year. So number two of my dream team gets grabbed by Big Easy. I think there was a New Orleans connection. He just felt it. I did not know this, man, but we're both from New Orleans. And the next thing I know, and this is the reason you buy cheap tickets, bang for your buck right there on the court, just in case. So they grab this sweet little kid. And not just dance with him, not just smile him, not just throw a bucket on him. We got all that too. That was fun. They put him on the court and said they did this deal where they yanked the court or the scoreboard goes black. And they say, oh, my gosh, are we going to lose to the generals finally? And they put the pressure and I said, hey, do you think you can make a shot, kid? And not like this, we're going to give you 10 chances. Not happen. like if you make this shot. We win. If you don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Yet. So all of a sudden, I'm a little nervous. There's risk. <laughs> it's like, holy cow, this is going to be the worst memory ever. If And <laughs> drops it. And so that big grin is on our wall. You never know. And if it didn't work, that's okay. It was a small risk to take. But if it does work, you, you got a memory bank deposit forever. <laughs> so is there a way to buy a group of these tickets, even if one of the kids is not as excited as the other one by the end and get in the game too. Well, let me share that example, whether it be passive indexing or individual stakeholders, I want to be in the game when nobody thought that was possible. So we have a chart. We'll share it on the YouTube channel where going back, I think it's 15 years where indexes, international indexes, total assets under management, in ETFs was about $100 million. I'm sorry, $100 billion. $100 billion. And fast forward, a one-way freight train, no matter what was happening in these countries, and dramatic underperformance relative to the U.S., it's 
closed in on one and a half trillion dollars. And we just show a simple chart of everybody getting up to this table, whether they agree with anything we just said or have their own ideas and are much more complicated and confusing and expensive than what we've shared. If everybody's gathering around this table to place their bets and buy tickets somewhere internationally, it shows the exposure over time. Almost a trillion and a half linked to indexes if you believe in passive, which we said we do. But if you believe more in active and being a stakeholder, as we've always shared and we tried on this mailbox money show to change the mindset of if everybody is going to be placing their bets, find the stick man. To use the Las Vegas craps analogy, he can't lose. He always rakes them in at the end. So the parent company of the index that licenses all of these different solutions overseas over that same period of time, if you own the whole company that's a U.S. company licensing indexes, they paid a dividend and they've given an annual raise in that dividend. And I shared a very simple because I hate backtested. If you only invested 30 years ago, it would be I, I don't like that. I want to say if, if today what might be possible? Well, we just showed you dramatic underperformance for the last 15 years. What if there's any upside overseas? I would imagine the math I'm about to share will prove conservative. But we share in the underperforming period, because there's more and more assets under management, win, lose or draw, the stick man has paid dividends every year. So since 2015, I think we share when they initiated their first dividend, they've grown it every year. And currently, that relatively low dividend yield, and the index provider is MSCI, by the way. How many of your friends are talking about or have even heard of the company that's called MSCI that is the index provider of all these overseas indexes? Kind of like about as many as heard of the parent company or just owning the S&P parent company, not the index, that does all of the solutions, win, lose, or draw. Similar math applies, hint, hint. The stick man works. So the current dividend yield, the mailbox math, as we always call it, the current dividend yield, if you happen to own MSCI shares, when they originally started their dividend, and just in 2015, you're currently receiving the mailbox math, 12% per year and rising. It's a mic drop. I, it's my favorite chart that I've ever seen. And it tells the best, most elegant story. I absolutely love it. Yeah, that was great. If anybody out there listening would like to schedule a meeting with our team, talk about portfolios, open our playbook to you, ask us any questions, you can email us team at freedomdaysolutions.com. You can check out our website, our writing. I'm hoping that this one makes it as a blog. No pressure. Um, but this, just to read you anything know, or listen you know, to anything. you know, it's coming because I'm sharing these pictures. Yeah. These charts are what clued me into. I think this might actually be a, be a blog post soon. So to read the blog, it's on our website, freedomdaysolutions.com. And as always, we've had a, uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody that has been subscribing. We've seen a tremendous jump in our podcast subscribers. So it means a lot. If you like the show, if you leave a review, it helps us grow. We're on a mission to spread this to as many people as we can. And we thank those that have done that in the past. And with that, we will see everybody else next week. 
This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.